Sorry I didn't get this connected earlier. Um, let's just have a benediction and go home. Amen? Wow. Uh, this morning as we turn in the Bible, we're going to be looking at the fifth chapter of Ephesians. And so women, I just want you to relax and enjoy yourself because I'm not preaching to you this morning. Um, you can look at your watch. You can take your watch off and wave it at me. Uh, to let me know if I'm going too long, but when you hear the topic, if you're married, you're probably going to want me to preach until about 5 o'clock this afternoon, because I'm going to be preaching on husbands and talking about the roles of men and women today is that we have lost the understanding of the purpose of marriage. And so in light of that, one of the things that uh, I do want to remind you is that we have a purpose in the church to acknowledge the sanctity of marriage. There's a reason for that, and it's because it's in God's Word. Before I get into the message this morning and before we dig into the scriptures about this role, um, I, I just do want to remind you in the Westminster Confession of Faith in the modern English, here's what it says about marriage. And I know that both of you, both of you who are either single or married need to hear this. Because if you're single, you're in an estate, you're in a place right now where God wants you to be. And until he changes that, he wants you to glorify his name and to live in that singleness pleasing him. And if you're a married, God has given you that marriage. He has called you into this relationship as imperfect as you are and your mate is for the glory of God. And so when you look in chapter 24 under the title of marriage and divorce in the Westminster Catechism, which is, excuse me, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is part of our denominational documents of belief, it says this, it says, first of all, marriage is a union between one man and one woman designed by God or designed of God to last so long as they both shall live. And so God's intention is that when a a man becomes a husband and a woman becomes a wife. They come into a union together where they are inseparably joined. And the only thing that can dissolve that union is death. The second thing we learn from the scriptures is that marriage is designed for the mutual help of husband and wife. In other words, it was designed by God for the purpose of sanctifying us of making us more like Christ. And it is for the safeguarding, undergirding, and development of our moral and spiritual character and for the propagation of children and rearing them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it goes on to say some number of other things that I would love to read to you this morning, but it would impede the sermons. But I do want to bring to your attention that those of you who have experienced the heartache of divorce, and I'm a child of divorce. My father was married four times. My mother never remarried. And in all of that, the questions and my bias this morning may be showing through because one of the things that I work through in my own life is what then are we to do with the issue of marriage and how are we to live? Can someone who is divorced be remarried? And 
the confession says that remarriage of divorced persons may be sanctioned by the church in keeping with redemption or redemptive gospel of Christ when sufficient patience for sin or penance for sin, excuse me, and the failure is evident and a firm purpose of an endeavor after Christian marriage is manifested. Meaning, if a person really realizes what faults they contributed to the divorce and they face those, instead of blaming others, begin to look at their own sins. Then the last section is divorced persons should be prayerfully thought, the divorced persons should give prayerful thought to discover if God's vocation for them is to remain unmarried, since one failure in this realm raises serious questions as to the rightness and wisdom of undertaking another union. And if I had been the pastor who was counseling my father, I would have given them that counsel. Instead of giving married four times, maybe he should be single because obviously he was having struggles with marriage. It speaks to the fact that all of us are broken when it comes to our relationships. We deal with brokenness. And in that brokenness, the Bible is beginning to teach us about how God wants to redeem us how he wants to sanctify even our relationships as husband and wife in such a way that we begin to live out a role that is meant to help you becoming more, to become more like Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. The chief end of, of humanity is to, to love God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of marriage is to glorify God and to make Christ known. And so this morning as we deal with the husband, it's important that we review so far because last week we were talking about leading a life worthy of the calling. That's the context of Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 4. That you now believe in Christ, you are called to live a life worthy of the gospel. Well, what is that about? Is it attending church uh, for three out of four Sundays of the month? Is it reading your Bible every day? All of those have lofty goals, but we found from Paul's teaching that the first the first criteria for leading a, a life worthy of the gospel is to maintain the unity that you have in Christ and with the church, those other believers. And secondly, that you grow in maturity, that you understand that you're not what God wants you to be. He has an end product, a goal in bringing the spirit of God into your life to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, Paul teaches the Ephesians that because of this truth that they're no longer to live as unbelievers. In other words, we're seeing in our day a more vital role for each of us in living out the gospel because the gospel is not known in our culture anymore. And so as we apply this gospel and then we use it and we, we study it and we allow the Spirit to sanctify our, sanctify our lives through it, we're to no longer live as those, as those ways we were used to living and we were taught a new way of life. We're to put off the old self, to renew our mind, change our thinking, rearrange how we view the world, our lives, and God. And then lastly, we're to put off the old self, but put on the new. We're to put on Jesus Christ. We're to walk with him day by day. And so we are to learn to imitate God by walking in the way of love through Jesus Christ. It's in that context of walking in the way of love that we begin to unpack then what Paul says concerning the role of the husband. 
And I invite you this morning, if you'll stand with me, and let's hear God's word as we read through this passage. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, verse 21. That's the context. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And then down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife wife must respect her husband. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So this morning as we get into this business of the husband and the wife uh, and, and this calling of being a husband, uh, growing up in the brokenness of my own life, I began to really delve deeply into what it was to be married. And one of the things that was really nice was that when I received a call to be a pastor early on, uh, I found that a lot of girls did not want to date someone who was going to be a pastor. So I, uh, I found out very quickly that if you talked about the question when we were asked in dating, so what do you want to do with your life? I would say, I want to be a pastor, and that would eliminate the field immediately. That would, that would dry up the well pretty significantly. And so in light of that, I, I went through life already scared to death of marriage because I would, didn't know anyone really who had a successful marriage, and I wanted one. As I studied the passage and began to realize what God is teaching in this, it's, it's a powerful statement, powerful statement of how God has called us into this role. As men, you don't have to be married, but if you are married, you're called to be a husband. It's your title. It's your calling, a husband. We saw just as last week when you're called to be a wife, you may be a woman. You don't have to be married, but when you decide to marry, you are then now a wife in that role of wife. And it was interesting because we found out that in that passage, God is instructing women, especially in their role as wives, to be submissive to their husbands. And the question then becomes, well, how much abuse can we heap on people with that kind of teaching? Because there has been tremendous abuse in the church of women who have been told you have to submit to your husband. And that is not the context in which Paul is teaching us. When he says, women, you are to submit to your, to your husband as to the Lord, he's talking about a submission that's out of a voluntary submission to love your husband where they are in their walk with Christ. We talked about the danger of being yoked together with unbelievers. If you're married to an unbeliever and you become a Christian, 
And in fact, Paul deals with it in the, in the chapter in Corinthians, that there were people in Corinth who were, who were not Christians, got married, and then later one became a Christian, the other didn't. And it brought great problems in the church life because they had, they had a husband or they had a wife who was not a believer, and they were wondering, how then do we live? And Paul's counsel to them from the scriptures and from the Spirit of God was live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live it out completely. Well, where am I going with this? Well, many people look back to that time and they, they don't know the context of Paul's day when he wrote this. In the Jewish faith, a Jew would wake up every morning and pray to God and say, God, thank you that you did not make me or allow me to be born a Gentile, a tax collector, or a woman. And for the Jews in those days, women were just commodities. You had them to have children, and you had them to raise your children in such ways that you remained faithful to the commandments of God. And so women were seen in a subservient role. In the Roman family in that day, the Romans and the, even the Greeks had a view of women that was really quite uh, insulting. Because they had wives that they would have legitimate children through, but then they would go to the prostitutes and the, the houses of ill repute and have their sensual pleasures. And so husbands were encouraged to live immoral lives in this way. And wives were regulated, if you were married, to being faithful to your husband for your own safety and the future of his children. And so in that world women were seen as property as cattle to be bought and sold so to speak and it is only the christian faith that has brought women from that oppressive relationship whether jew or gentile into a relationship where now we understand that women and men are equal co-equal inheritors of jesus christ Paul says there is neither slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ. And so the oneness of the, the glory of the gospel is that it elevated women to a place where they were to be cared for and loved, not as pieces of property, but as fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. And therefore we found out that that submission was a submission that was voluntarily given out of love for Christ and love for the Christian husband. But here we come to the role of the husband, and please notice that we are to imitate God as the goal, husbands. We're to imitate God. Now, I want you to know one of the things that has happened in our day is that we no longer see Jesus as a man, as an image, a role model for us as men. When you think of men, who are your heroes today? Who do you look to? Donald Trump? Is he your hero? Do you look to Joe Biden? Is he your hero? Do you look to the people on TV? Puff Daddy and other people who have all these wonderful records and making all this money. Are they your hero men? Who then do you look to to find out what it is to be a man? And more importantly, to be a husband. I went through the years of agony in my own life looking for people. And I would look at people and say, man, they seem to have such a great marriage. And then I'd find out, no, it's not as good as, it is, as I thought. 
And so one of the things that we're seeing in our culture today is there is a lack of role model of men, of husbands, that represents the glory of the gospel. And that problem is evident throughout our culture. Well, why do I say all this? When you and I think of what true men are, true men who are elevated to that place of husbands, we are called, whether single or married, to imitate God. That's the goal of our life. That's the whole purpose of our living. Whether it's in our business, in our relationships with our neighbors, whether it's we're dealing with a wife, if we take one or not, it is that whole business of imitating God. And so therefore, Paul lays out three things for us as husbands that we cannot ignore if we are in Christ. And I want to say this very clearly, that if you are not a Christian, then you are living out your marriage as a husband in your own ideology and idolatry. You are living out a relationship with your spouse, not based upon the Word of God, but based upon what you believe based on experience or tradition in your family as to what it is to be a husband. And I dare say, if you come from any family born of heaven under the earth, that whole ideology misses the whole point of why it is that God has given you a wife. I remember talking to my um, family members years ago, and when I was finally announcing that we were getting married, um, everybody gave a sigh of relief, like, thank God he's getting married. You know, he's only 30 years old. But after they gave a sigh of relief, they, went, they said, who is this woman that he's marrying? And let me tell you, um, I, I now realize that if people, people don't like me, all I have to do is introduce my wife to them, and suddenly my status has improved greatly. Amen? Oh, that was weak. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, Paul gives us three principles of being a husband, man, that we must take seriously. He says, first, the principle is, husbands, you are to love your wives. Now, that would have been news to the Jew. And it would have been news to the Greek. Because the wife was a means to an end. And that was to propel your family name. That's all she was good for. What a horrible marriage. What a horrible way to live. It's no wonder the gospel began to take fire in people's hearts as they began to realize the value of women. And more importantly, the importance of the husband to groom that value by loving your wife. Now, please notice this. Love is the imitation that God gives in his love. What is that imitation? Well, it's a self-giving love. Go to the verse and look very carefully. If you go back to the chapter, chapter 5, look at what he says in verse 22, or I should say, excuse me, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, if, that was it, yeah, if that's all it was, it would be left to our imagination. But he goes further and he says, and he gave himself up for her. And there was a purpose in this. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless to God. I, I could probably preach on that passage for the next six hours. What time is it? Well, why, why is this so important? Because remember, we are to imitate God. 
And as husbands, we are to love our wives in the way that Christ loves the church. Well, what does that mean? First of all, it is a sacrificial love. It is a love that doesn't do things to gain sex or attention or power. It is a sacrificial love that is endeavoring to raise the woman's character and spiritual growth. I want to ask you a very serious question. When is the last time you prayed with your wife? See, there it is. That's exactly what Christ has come to save us from, which is a disconnect to believe that we can be in a relationship with a wife and honor God without even acknowledging God's presence in our marriage. And as the world looks at Christian marriage, they rightfully condemn it. They rightfully condemn it. Because as husbands... Instead of understanding that role as the one who leads our wives into being more and more like Christ, we just ask them to bake cookies and take care of the kids. And that's not what a husband and wife is about. There's something much deeper that Paul is teaching here. It's a union. It's a relationship where the two are one. Just as Christ and the church is one, the husband and the wife are to be one, and the husband... Remember, we are to put off the old, renew our thinking, and put on the new. Well, guess what, men? This is where it's going to take great effort and repentance on men's part to say, I can no longer think of my wife as some servant. I must think of her as a co-inheritor with Jesus Christ. And I am bound to her in one union. She is now not some appendage of my life she is my life I am united with her as one well, doesn't that change things that whole concept just totally eviscerates the cultural understanding of Christian marriage because that understanding of Christian marriage is foreign to the gospel as we have presented it to the world. I'm believing more than anything else that we are living in days that we are because we have failed as a church to understand this calling of being united, husband and wife, together in such ways that we serve Christ as co-inheritors. Well, why is this so important? Well, as you and I begin to dig into this principle of loving your wives, please notice that the image is not some other man. It's Jesus, the true man and true God. And so as you think about the arguments you've had with your spouse, the real question is not whether you've had arguments. We all will. But have you resolved those arguments in the way that you submit to one another? Go back to verse 21. Submit yourselves one to another. Well, who are you submitting to? And there's been such misunderstanding that we think that the husband is to be submitted to. It is Christ that both of you are submitting to. And so as the woman is called to acknowledge the leadership of her husband in the family, she is also called to acknowledge that she is submitting in this way and her husband is submitting. How is he doing it? He is becoming a servant leader, not a dictator. I heard someone once say that one reason their marriage never succeeded was they never found the, wo the woman who... who uh, 
who would fit the description of what he needed as a Christian wife. And I just thought, there's a problem there. What's it's not a renewed mind. It's not a renewed thinking. It's a way of thinking that betrays that they are separated from the love of God in Christ. Okay, with that being said then, if the principle is to love your wives and that love is to be self-sacrificing, it has a goal of presenting your wife as one who is without wrinkle and blemish. Don't you love that, women? Don't you wish your husband could do that? Just take away all the wrinkles, you know, all the blemishes. Paul's not talking about getting older, by the way. Did you know that? Paul is talking about you living a life in such a way, husbands, that your wives become more radiant in knowing who they are in Jesus Christ. So if they're called to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, that they do it all for the glory of God with their husbands encouraging them, as long as it doesn't threaten the life of their family, encouraging them to pursue what God has created them to dream and to accomplish for his glory. Isn't that beautiful? To think that I was given a relationship with a woman who if I told, all right, all I want you to do is bake cookies, change diapers, and work hard to keep a home, I would be robbing myself as a husband of everything glorious to God because I was hindering her spiritual development by consigning her to man-made roles in marriage. <coughs> Enough said. I think you get it, don't you? The second thing is we are given an example. Why is this? Christ in the church. I, this is such a powerful thing to think about as men because in that imitating of Christ as a husband God wants me to be someone who is an agent of continual encouragement to my wife to pursue Jesus Christ let me say that again that as a husband God has given me the calling in self-sacrificing love to be an agent a catalyst to encourage my wife to pursue Jesus Christ and all that he has prepared for her. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, women were never given that status because they were regulated to being somewhere other than when the men were when they were worshiping. In the temple, you had the holiest of holies. Then you had the court of the priest. Outside of that where all the priests gathered around the holiest of holies. Then around that, you had the court of the men where only Jewish men were allowed into. The women could not be there. And then you had the court of the Gentiles where the women gathered with those who basically were not Jewish. And Paul introduces a whole new way of looking at the relationship that one is we are united with Christ in such measure that the husband is working with Christ to help the wife develop into being holy and blameless before God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that sometimes a husband has to come to the wife and say, Honey, the words that you have spoken are salty and bitter, and they are cutting and hurting. There are times when a husband needs to come to his wife and say, Sweetheart, your competition with other women 
for attention is destroying the fellowship of the church. There are times when a husband needs to come to a wife and say, Honey, you're putting too much value on your appearance, thinking that that makes you valuable. You are valuable not because of your appearance, but because Jesus Christ loved you so much. He gave himself on the cross so that through him you will become the person God always intended you to be. I remember when Ann was going through middle school and she was going through that awkward stage. You know what that awkward stage is, right, women? Where you're just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to look like and, you know, no, I don't look like that. And as we were going through that stage, I could see the struggle in her mind because she was buying into the ideology of our culture which says women have to look extremely sexual in order to be pleasing to men. And I just thought, oh, God, please don't let this happen because she'll be trapped in a cycle where she thinks she has to be some sex object in order to be loved. And so one afternoon, we were on the beach about this time during the year. And she said, she was reading a book on growing up. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And she said, I don't know. I'm trying to figure some things out. And I said, I want you to do me a favor. Look around the beach. Look all around this beach. Can you find two women that look right? identical can you find two women who look exactly alike she must have spent 30 minutes studying each woman and she suddenly dawned on the realization that no one looks exactly alike it was even amplified when we took her for a graduation trip to Inc to Italy and we went into Florence and we saw all these beautiful statues and she was reading about this and studied it in college and art. And she said, Dad, you know something I found out that really bothered me? I said, what? She said, I found out that all the statues we saw in Italy were not made of from one person. I said, what do you mean? The artist would go out and find a woman who had a certain type of look and use that one particular body part on his statue and put it on the statue. And then he would use another body part and put it in. And, and basically it was a... It was a a cosmopolitan gathering of parts that no woman, no one woman would have. And I said, you're telling me that Michelangelo from one statue used about 10 women to make this one perfect statue? And she said, yeah. She said, how does that make you feel, Dad? I said, I'm, I'm angry. I'm so angry. She said, I was too. In that moment, the realization dawned that, that husbands, you and I are so visually attracted to beauty that sometimes we expect our wives to be something that God never created them to be. Do y'all remember, do you remember the model in the 1970s named Twiggy? Do y'all remember that? Some of you are way too young. You're looking at me like, who? Imagine a woman with anorexia nervosa, and she's had that condition for seven years. That's what Twiggy looked like. And that's what was declared was beauty. Paul says, because you are now a husband, you have the greatest beauty in your life created by God, and it is your wife. 
let her breast please you. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, she's not as young as she used to be. Neither are you. <laughs> you see, the whole point of all of this is not the external, it's the internal, the spiritual, the eternal, the thing that will last. We were laughing this morning. I was telling people, I can't wait for Christ to come back because I'm looking forward to combing my hair on top of my head again. But then I thought, well, in a glorified body, would we even bother? You see, the, the major teaching that Paul is giving for us husbands is that we are to remember that this person is a person who we are to cherish and love and pursue and encourage and help the Holy Spirit to mature into becoming everything that Christ in intended. Now, the world is not going to help you with that. If you're looking at pornography or if you're watching TV or you're, you're filling your mind with images that counter that, it's no wonder you struggle being faithful. It's no wonder. Thirdly and finally this morning, we have that husbands are to love sacrificially your wives, that Christ is now the example in how he has called the church. Oh, by the way, before I go any further, go back and read that verse with me where he says in the same way, verse 28, did you see this? In the same way husbands ought to love their wives. You see, even Paul's recognizing that it's impossible for you to do that without Christ. You can't, man. Let's face it, we're never going to be able to love our wives this way without the aid of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ in our lives. Can I hear an amen for that? No, didn't hear it. Okay. I will never be able to love Cindy the way she deserves if I don't have Jesus in my life every day. I'm too selfish. Too prone to wonder. Thirdly and finally, please notice that Paul gives us the application. The two are now one. If you go to the passage and look very carefully, he says that in the same way husbands are to love their wives or ought to love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife loves himself. You hear that? He who loves his wife loves himself. So if I neglect my wife, if I, if I put her on a pedestal and just walk away and, and pursue other relationships, what I'm really doing is hating myself. If I decide, you know, I'm just not as satisfied as I once was, I think I'll just go out and have an affair. I am hating myself. I am literally causing curses in my life. And as Paul puts it, I cannot treat my wife in a way that would not affect me in the same way that I treat her. You say, I learned that a long time ago, Robert. And I would say, well, how? Because that, other, that wife of mine hit me with a frying pan just to bring me back to my senses. Well, I hope you don't have to have a frying pan hit in your face. But I do hope as husbands, you and I will begin to think deeply about what this means when we think about the fact that we are bound to this person as one. 
so that what I do for myself, I should be doing for her. One of the things that I've, I've kind of become very touchy about, and, and you have your own stories from your own family, but my mother was a manipulator. She really was. She, she did not discipline us with a ruler. She disciplined us with manipulations. And so she would say things like, Robert, go and take out the trash. And I'd say, sure, Mom, let me finish the, the last inning of the ball game. And while I, was, while I was enjoying the ball game, she, unbeknownst to me, would take the trash out. And then when I would come in to take the trash out, she would say, oh, that's okay. I could see you were too busy to take the trash out. So, so I, uh, I took it out. Martyr, 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 right? Well, you could well imagine when I got married to Cindy, she asked me to do that one time and took the trash out, and I went ballistic because of the sins of the family visiting the children. And the way I become one with my wife is when those conflicts happen, I begin to get in touch with what's going on here. My wife said, look, I, I'm, I didn't want to disturb you. I just wanted to free you from having to worry about the trash. Why are you so angry? And I said, I don't know, but I'm angry. I mean, I was just furious. And she said, well, can you figure it out? I said, yeah, it took me three days, man, three days to figure out why I was so angry that my wife took the trash out when she asked me to. And if we had not been one, that would have easily divided our marriage irreparably. And so what I learned from that was the two meaning one is I can't walk away from conflict with my wife. I can't ignore her. I can't turn on the TV or fight, hide myself in the paper or go to work to get away from it that there is a conflict there that eats away at the marriage and it is contributed by both of them, both the husband and the wife, and until both of them learn to be one, there is no resolution, no blessing, no godliness. Why do I say all this? Well, I want you to know that there is conflict in your marriage. You didn't have to come to church to find that out, did you? There's conflict in your marriage. Why? It is there because God is sanctifying you. God has given you your wife not as the person you are to please, not as the person you are to obey, but the person you are to listen to to discern in your heart whether you are submitting to Jesus Christ. And women, you need to be very careful here because if you cross this line, you will only nag your husband into living further from Christ than being a part of him. Men, we are called to sacrificially care for our wives. What does that mean? Well, for me, it means... When I come in and my wife has gone to all the trouble to cook supper for me and she sits down, I don't want her getting up from the table again. She has waited on me long enough. 
and being the dutiful wife, she feels like she has to pop up from the table and go and get something from the stove that she's forgotten, and I'll tell her, sorry, sit down. But I, no, sit down. You have served me long enough. I will get what is missing. Now, I don't do that. That's just my role. Believe me, that's where I am. That's not for you. But I have learned that one way I honor my wife, I speak her love language, is when she is exhausted and tired, when I step in and say, you are to rest, and I am going to lead in serving you. I only ignite, get this, I only ignite the romance in my life. I only ignite the oneness we have. I only ignite the excitement of being married. Isn't that beautiful? And it's all because I'm putting off the old. I'm no longer thinking of my wife as a servant. Some of, you know, some women, some of the problems you have with your husbands is you allowed them to treat you, you've allowed your husband to treat you not as a wife, but as a mother. Did you know that? You're not their mother. And husbands, for us to act as if our wives are our mothers is a denial of the leadership that God has called us to. Then how are we to live? Well, we're to live as two who are now one. Please notice that Paul writes in verse, in verse uh, 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What is he talking about? He's calling us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when he gives us the purpose of creating the man and male and female. That the, the husband and the wife in such measure are to become one that the husband, listen to this, the husband will leave. Leave what? Leave that relationship that he had with his family and form a new relationship that is uniquely one with one woman and do it in such a way that he will forsake his father and mother. Now, I, I want to be very delicate here in closing this sermon. One of the ways in which marriages are being undermined is through in-laws. Amen? My mother, who I did not know at the time, had a huge argument and fight with my sister and was living in Savannah, Georgia, called me one afternoon and said, Well, I now realize that because Anne is getting to be two, that maybe I should be a little closer. So I was calling to find out, what would you think about me moving to Mooresville, North Carolina? Which seemed to be pretty innocuous, right? You know, she'll be close by, wonderful, you know, contact. And then I suddenly thought about it for a minute. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, it had to be God, the Holy Spirit, to give this wisdom, came in. And suddenly I realized, ding, some problem is going on here. And I said to Mother, I said, okay, who, who, are you, who are you fighting with this time? And she said, what are you talking about? I said, are you having a disagreement with somebody? No, no, everything's fine down here. Everything's wonderful. I just thought it would be nicer for me to be closer to Anne. I thought, well, that's wonderful. I said, yeah, I'll be happy for you to come and stay and live in this area, but there are three things that you have to follow as rules. And I'm saying this as a husband to a wife. 
She said, okay, well, what are they? First of all, you cannot come over to our house anytime you want to. You must be invited by my wife. The second is, when you come, you can never criticize her for her cooking or how she cleans the house or how she takes care of Anne. And in any shape or form, you have no freedom to correct her and tell her how to live. And thirdly, you cannot join the church I pastor. You must find your own church and your own fellowship and your own life with friends outside of my life and our lives. And the phone got really quiet. And my mother said, well, I was just thinking about it. I wasn't going to do it immediately. And we never heard about it again. To this day, my wife tells me, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, do I hate my mother? No, I don't. I love her dearly. But anything that threatens the oneness I have with my wife, anything, is not healthy in following Christ. Okay, you've heard my bias. You take it. You're smart people. You take the word of God. You apply it to your life, husbands. And let me ask you, is your wife more godly? Is she free to love God in ways that she never could before 10 years ago because of your leadership? Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you for calling both men and women to be co-inheritors and co-equal in Jesus Christ. I, I just wish you'd come back today, Jesus, because honestly, marriage is hard. It is really hard. There are all kinds of sins that we deal with, whether we're sins that we learn from our families or things that we just pick up along the way. And then you take two sinners and you combine them to a space of a house where they have to live together. It's no wonder there are so many problems in marriage. But we are so thankful that the covenant of marriage is not just between one man and one woman. It is between one man and one woman and their God. And for that reason, Sanctify my life, Lord Jesus. Cleanse from me those things that would dishonor your name in the way in which I live as a husband. Root out of me my selfish heart so that in the days that we stand before you, my wife would be blameless and holy before you because of how I encouraged her to trust Jesus. To the glory of God the Father, we ask humbly in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together,